everyone. Welcome to The Science of Beauty, a podcast from Allure. I'm Michelle Lee, the Editor-in-Chief. And I'm Jenny Bailly, Executive Beauty Director. And on this podcast, we're going to be diving into the science behind beauty and the products that we are always talking about and testing here at Allure. And today on the show... Okay, it is Sunday night. I'm opening for the first time ever the baby foot exfoliation foot peel. We did something really gross for you guys. Um, there's a kind of like foil packet inside and I'm reading the instructions very carefully because based on the photos that I've seen online, I do not want to get this wrong. I've been curious about this peel for many years, but always a little too chicken to use it. But tonight is the night. Okay, I'm peeling it open. The plastic booties, interesting. There's like a liquid inside each of them. Huge plastic baby booties filled with acid. So don't use these on your baby. Okay. Okay, I'm putting on the booties. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Oh, it's kind of cold. <laughs> okay, Jenny, let's explain. We used a product called Baby Foot, and the idea is that you're basically stripping off dead skin, loads of it, from your feet. I literally just got out of the tub, and my feet are falling off. Um, all those pictures that you see of like large sheets of skin basically coming off the bottoms of people's feet, it's definitely all happening. It's so gross, but also so weirdly satisfying. The directions do say, do not forcibly remove the dead skin from your feet. Let them peel naturally, but I don't know any human being who is strong enough to do that. At first I thought it wasn't working, and then all of a sudden one day it just worked. I know. And I decided early on I was going to, you know, for science, save the skin to see how much <laughs> I had as it peeled off my feet. So I started, I've been kind of, you know, sitting on the couch and I peel a little and then I leave a little pile of dead skin on the coffee table or then I was in the living room and I left a little bit of dead skin on the floor where I was sitting. But my family is not really into this plan of me saving all of the dead skin because they keep finding these little piles. So my daughter thought that um, you put the acid on your feet and that it shrinks your feet so they become literally baby feet. Baby feet. <laughs> Which would be <laughs> super unfortunate. I mean, smooth, kind of kind of useless. But. <laughs> on the sixth morning, I woke up and looked next to my bed, and there was so much dead skin on the floor because our floors are kind of like dark wood, so you could see it. Super, super gross. Okay, it's day nine. I'm here with my son, James, who is peeling sheets of skin off my feet. We've both really Mom, enjoyed this process. And James, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do? What's, what's our bonding activity gonna be once this is over? What should we do next? You step in molten lava again. Well, I, I didn't step in melting lava, sweetie. It's basically melting lava. I stepped in acid. But acid is basically melting lava. 
Okay, well, ask the experts how soon I can step in melting lava again. Stay tuned. Well, Babyfoot isn't quite lava, but it is really effective. And the reason that we're talking about Babyfoot is because what makes Babyfoot work, what makes all our dead skin come right off, is acid. Specifically, lactic and glycolic acids, which are right there at the top of the ingredient list, plus citric and malic acids, which are a little farther down, those are all AHAs or alpha-hydroxy acids. Which are one of the two main types of acids that we use on our skin. So there are AHAs and the other group is BHAs or beta-hydroxy acids. You might have heard of salicylic acid, that's the star BHA. And what acids do is loosen the fluid that binds cells to the upper layers of skin, allowing the dead ones to fall away and reveal a smoother, brighter surface, aka baby feet. And baby face. And we spend so much time talking about acids at Allure that it's easy to forget what we're actually talking about. And whether or not something's an acid has to do with pH. So like what you learned in chemistry class. After the break, we're going to be joined by a doctor and beauty expert who's going to walk us through everything acids. We're back, and we're joined by one of Allura's favorite dermatologists. I'm Dr. Laurel Garrity, a board-certified dermatologist. And so our listeners know you're not just a dermatologist. You had another life where you were actually an Allura staffer. I have Allura to thank for making me a better doctor and dermatologist, because nearly 20 years ago, I was an Allure editor. And, you know, if you work at Allure, if you're an Allure editor, you are by definition very smart. You ask the tough questions, you push your experts and, you know, everybody you're interviewing to really dig into a deeper knowledge of whatever that topic is. So when I made a shift from being a magazine editor to a um, a physician and going back to medical school and then ultimately becoming a dermatologist, it's really helped me that experience at Allure, kind of that journalistic slant where, hey, do I really understand this? What about this? And you realize you may not actually know something that you think you know. So you take that extra step and do additional research. So I loved my experience at Allure and at working as a magazine writer and editor, but it really helped me transition into medicine in some kind of unexpected ways. So in case Michelle or I decide that careers in dermatology are our next step after the Science of Beauty podcast, what exactly was involved in going from a lure editor to an actual skin doctor? I had to go back and do a lot of prerequisites, you know, the the chemistry, the physics, the organic chemistry, some anatomy. And then I took the MCAT and I tanked it. I didn't get an interview at a single medical school the first time I applied. But you're such a good beauty reporter. Have you seen my clips from Allure? <laughs> I know. I'm like, you don't care about my beauty reporting, MCAT? What's up? No. And so that, that you know, was kind of a tough moment. I'm like, well, what do I do? I, you know, I could give up, but I could continue on the writing that I love to do. Um, but I said, you know what? I think I'm going to give this another round. So I had to wait a whole other year to take the MCAT again. This time I actually studied for the exam. Guess what? That, that's helpful. Um, and so then I got many interviews and was very fortunate to have a choice of some, some wonderful medical schools. Well, we wish you were still working with us every day, but you are legend at Allure as the first and so far only skincare reporter to become an actual dermatologist. Uh, But we are thrilled to have you here today to walk us through a little bit how acids became such a more or less basic part of our skincare routines. Can we start from the very beginning? Can you walk us through the history of acids? How long have we been using them on our skin? 
So asses have been used at least since the time of Cleopatra in ancient Egypt. Those Egyptian women were smart and they realized that the lactic acid found in milk could have a very soft, softening, moisturizing effect on the skin. So they would apply milk to their skin or even take milk baths like Cleopatra if they were very wealthy. And that lactic acid that they were using um, in sour milk is what we still use today in a lot of moisturizers. And I find that a lot of people with rough, dry or flaky skin rely on those products or people with um, that kind of chicken skin feeling on the upper arms, what we call lact- uh, keratosis pilaris. Lactic acid seems to smooth out those areas and leave, buff the skin and leave it really soft. So we've learned from the ancient Egyptians. And there was this naturalist too back in, in Roman days named Pliny the Elder. And he would take uh, an aspirin derivative from trees and crush that down into salicylic acid and started using it for blemishes and for a lot of other skin things. That's another product we are still using to this day. Most acne washes have salicylic acid in it, and we still use it for warts and other conditions too, in stronger concentrations. So a lot of the acids have been adopted through history for thousands of years, and we continue to uh, reap the benefits for our skin. Thank you, Pliny. I never knew that. And could you talk to us kind of a little bit how they became more mainstream and just kind of a, a basic part of our skincare routine? Yeah. And if you look back even decades within dermatology, chemical peels used to be really widely used in dermatology offices, in plastic surgery offices, and by estheticians as well. The reason being is that we didn't have that many options. But then, you know, in the 1980s and 90s, um, lasers and injectables started coming around. We developed more and more energy-based devices, whether they're radio frequency or microneedling, just different technologies and treatments. So the, the aesthetic world has really kind of exploded in terms of our options. So chemical peels shifted. They've shifted from the medical office out into the over-the-counter market. So back in the early 2000s, there were probably very few choices, you know, maybe amylactin lotion, which has lactic acid to help smooth the skin. But it wasn't like there were a lot of home chemical peels that we could use for ourselves or options in that way. So now we have hundreds, dozens, thousands of options over the counter with glycolic acid, with lactic acid, salicylic acid, so many kojic acids, so many other different acids that can have a rejuvenating effect on the skin. So I love that. You know, we don't have to go to a dermatologist's office to get a peel anymore. We can do it at home on a Saturday night if we feel like it. And are there instances still in which in office you would use a chemical peel over lasers and other high-tech things? There definitely are. And I think the greatest value for chemical peels at this point is often for dispigmentation, abnormal pigment on the skin. Women who have really stubborn sunspots on the cheeks or the face that we're trying to clear up, lasers can can do a lot for that. But sometimes chemical peels are just can tackle things from a different um, a different angle that can get results. And I feel like melasma, that's that condition that a lot of pregnant women may develop or women on birth control where they get, you know, dark splotches on the cheeks, the upper lip, the chin or the forehead, sometimes even the forearms. So I think hyperpigmentation and melasma are the two best uses. But some of us just want a refresh. I had a chemical peel that our esthetician gave me on Wednesday, and it just left my skin feeling so soft and so glass smooth. So sometimes it's just nice for a little reboot. We're like, hey, I just want a little something to treat myself, make my skin feel soft and, you know, a beauty boost during a tough year for many people. And when you say chemical peel, do you, does that always mean acid and acid peel? Or is there any other chemical used? 
there are many, many different acids and they are predominantly acids on the skin. Absolutely. And so there are different ones that we choose depending on the person, depending on their skin type, depending on their skin concerns. And the most common ones are glycolic acid, salicylic acid, mandelic acid. Sometimes we even use kojic acid, um, which is a nice skin brightener and lightener. Some of the really old school ones like phenol are, um, we actually had to, they were so intensive. We had to monitor people's heart waves during the treatment. We've really shifted away from those hardcore peels at this this point in time where most people just want a little light refresh um, from a lighter acid treatment. That sounds terrifying. (laughs) I do remember a dermatologist telling me years ago that he would always show patients pictures (laughs) of what they were going to look like after a phenol peel. And I was like, oh, because you just need to prepare them. And he was like, no, honestly, because you need to weed out the people who were going to really, even just at the pictures, freak out because a lot of people just psychologically are not going to be able to handle what their face looks like afterwards. It sounds very gory. Yes, it is not for the faint of heart. Those those, um, hardcore deep peels are very aggressive, but they can have beautiful results too. So for tough patients, they can get through them. Like even the word peel sounds like you're going to peel off a layer of skin. Is it always the case that you're going to see skin literally peeling off? I feel like there's something satisfying when we actually have that physical, you know, we see those flakes. We're like, yes, I've done something here. I've accomplished something for my skin. But it's not always the case um, because the outer layer of our, our skin is called the epidermis and the outermost layer of our epidermis is called the stratum corneum. And it's basically a flaky layer of dry, dead skin cells that are constantly sloughing on their own. But when we get a little buildup of that stratum corneum layer, that's when our skin starts to look kind of dull. It doesn't reflect light in the same way. It starts to look a little ashy or um, like the skin tone is not very even. So if we can use acids to gently flake off that microscopic layer called the stratum corneum, our skin looks brighter. But sometimes it's so subtle. I mean, it's happening all the time and we don't even notice it or feel it. So light peels, we may not see a lot of flaking, but we're still getting the benefit. We're still getting that radiance boost by kind of microscopically helping to remove some of those outer layers of skin. Can you give us just kind of a, a quick glossary? I know we we hear about the alpha hydroxy acids and the beta hydroxy acids. Could you just tell us what the difference is, which acids fall in each camp, and if there is maybe a third or fourth or fifth camp that I'm not even thinking about? Oh, sure, sure. So alpha hydroxy acids are probably the most common acids that are used for the skin. Um, and common ones within that category would be glycolic acid, lactic acid, mandelic acid, and there are some others as well. But those are really nice for exfoliating that outer layer of skin, leaving the skin brighter, evening out skin tone. Um, and texture. And they can even stimulate a little collagen production, which is really nice. Um, Beta hydroxy acids, the most common one um, is actually uh, salicylic acid. And salicylic acid and the other beta hydroxy acids, they actually bind to sebum. That's oil. They're oil binding. And that works really well for pores because it helps grab onto that oil that's naturally in in our pores and exfoliate it, wash it away. So it has a very nice acne benefit in that way. Salicylic acid is, like I said, can also be used in really potent concentrations for warts on the foot, for example, like a 40%. Whereas for acne, it's only about 2% over the counter. So as an acne wash. So there are different strengths and concentrations. Um, kind of a newer generation type of alpha hydroxy acid is something that we call polyhydroxy acid. And there are different ones that are out there on the market. But that comes as a larger molecule than the average alpha hydroxy acid. So glycolic acid, if you've ever tried it, it does have the potential 
potential to be irritating, right? If we use it too much, too often, or at too high of a strength, it can make our skin red, peely, irritated, stingy. Whereas if we use one of these polyhydroxy acids, the newer generation version, the molecule is larger. It can't penetrate into the skin quite so much, so it ends up being gentler. So some examples of polyhydroxy acids or PHAs are um, gluconolactone, galactose, or lactobionic acid, terms that not everyone's going to remember and, and nobody needs to. But if you look for a PHA, just know that that might be a kinder, gentler place to start. And what about hyaluronic acid? I feel like that's always one where if there's someone who's not familiar with it, they will sometimes say to me, oh, is it going to burn? And I'm like, not at all. Um, is hyaluronic acid similar to the other acids? So hyaluronic acid is technically an acid because its pH is lower than neutral. If you imagine water, it's completely neutral and its pH is 7. So 7 is right in the middle of the road. Hyaluronic acid's pH is a bit lower than 7, qualifying it as an acid. However, it's a really, really gentle acid. It's a very large sugar molecule that behaves completely differently than the alpha hydroxy acids or the beta hydroxy acids. Hyaluronic acid doesn't cause any of that shedding or purging of the skin like AHAs or BHAs can do. And because hyaluronic acid is not very acidic, it doesn't dissolve those microscopic links between our skin cells or clean out our pores like AHAs or BHAs can. Instead, hyaluronic acid has the function of trapping moisture against the skin surface to give this instant, gentle skin plumping and skin hydration. And that's why just about anybody can tolerate it. Okay, got it. Hyaluronic acid, technically an acid, but really in its own class. So for the AHAs and BHAs, the real deal acids, how do you choose the right one? How do you choose between lactic acid or glycolic acid? And then once you make the right choice for you, how do you use it? There's so many acids out there, it can be kind of overwhelming. And the simple answer may lie in a person's skin type. So if you have oily skin, you're probably going to want to start with a beta hydroxy acid, also called a BHA, like salicylic acid, because it binds to our skin's natural oils to help keep those pores clear. And at the same time, it can help to exfoliate and brighten up the complexion. And it tends to be pretty user-friendly, it's not very irritating, and is considered a bit gentler than glycolic acid in general. So a few good, safe, over-the-counter products that are well-formulated that people could start with if they wanted something mild as a kind of a starter Kit. One would be Aveeno Clear Complexion Cream Cleanser with Salicylic Acid. Another might be CeraVe Renewing SA Face Cleanser with Salicylic Acid. And another might be La Roche-Posay Effaclar Medicated Gel Face Cleanser for acne-prone skin. That also has salicylic acid. If you're concerned you're showing signs of age, on the other hand, maybe you have more mature skin, or maybe you're just wanting to exfoliate, get a little more brightness if your skin is starting to look a bit dull. You might then consider a product with glycolic acid because it's so user-friendly and effective. It helps to exfoliate and brighten the skin, leaving skin smoother and more radiant, and it absolutely can help to minimize fine lines and wrinkles as well. But with glycolic acid, as with anything, you just have to be careful not to overdo it since glycolic acid could cause redness or irritation or some sun sensitivity. A lot of fruit acids fall under the alpha hydroxy acid category as well and can more gently brighten and exfoliate the skin. A lot of fruit acids are a little milder than glycolic acid may be. 
And if your skin feels rough, if we're talking about like your arms or your elbows or your knees, if you're starting to look a little ashy or having some keratosis pilaris, that kind of chicken skin sort of feel, um, creams and lotions containing lactic acid or salicylic acid can really help. Amlactin lotion is a classic example of one of those lotions with lactic acid for skin smoothness. CeraVe makes a good one called SA Cream for rough and bumpy skin. That SA stands for salicylic acid, and that can help to soften up dry, ashy, flaky areas as well. And the brand called Derma Doctor has had a cult following for years for its KP Duty moisturizing therapy. It's got alpha hydroxy glycolic acid in it to allow for smoother arms and elbows. I feel like most people now and most dermatologists who I talk to have switched from using physical exfoliants like scrubs. Um, and most everyone now seems to be using um, chemical. Are there instances when people would not be good candidates for acids? There are. I mean, when we see people with the most sensitive skin types or those of us who have rosacea-prone skin, our skin gets flushed or agitated or stingy or irritated from even putting on moisturizer. There are people who, who suffer from that sort of extreme skin sensitivity. So we want to be careful in those skin types. So if we're very sensitive, we probably want to stick to even a really gentle scrub or just go old school with a warm wet washcloth and a mild cleanser to exfoliate. You know, sometimes it's just not worth the risk of irritation. Because I've seen patients and even in myself, you know, we can make our skin beat red and very unhappy and irritated if we use too strong of an acid or in the wrong combination. So is there a way that the consumer can just look at a label and figure out if it's the right acid for them? I know, you know, I've seen some products that clearly label the percentage of acid. Um, I've seen some labels that even reference the free acids in the formula, which I think probably a lot of people don't know what that means. But in our reporting at Allure, we've said that the the free acid is the, the number of acid compounds kind of floating around in the formula. So if you have too many of those acid bits, you risk irritation. If you don't have enough, you risk just nothing happening. Um, so is this kind of like an SPF situation where people should be looking for a particular number or minimum number? There is a huge variety. However, there's, there are hard limits on how strong an acid can be if it's sold over the counter. So salicylic acid, for example, can only be 2% if it's in an acne wash for the face. Um, if it's on, you know, designed as a wart treatment, it could be up to 40%. So depending on the type, there are hard limits on how strong it can be. But sometimes it's really hard hard when you're squinting at that label on a bottle and it says it's got this acid or that acid, it can be hard to know how strong it is. So it's buyer beware. It's always do a test spot first to make sure your skin's not going to freak out. I've never seen on packaging or very rarely the pH listed. And that's such an important part of, you know, the potency of the acid is what the pH is. So without knowing the pH, you're a little bit just fumbling around in the dark. Right. And the pH can vary too, um, because even if we put an acid into a cream, if there's something a little basic in it, that will help neutralize some or all of the acid. So the pH level of the end product may be different from the acid that's in it. And I mean, you would think that if we put something acidic on our skin, our skin would be unhappy, but it's actually the reverse that's true. Our skin tends to be a, a bit on the acidic side. And if we use something really basic on the skin, that is actually what throws off our natural skin's balance. Interesting. Of the products that you're using yourself, are you using mostly RX products or are you using anything over the counter? Are there certain over the counter just consumer products um, that use acids that you like? 
There are, and usually, you know, I will go in for the occasional peel in the office if I really want to boost, but most of the time I'm using predominantly over-the-counter products because there's so many phenomenal choices now. I rely very heavily on a vitamin C serum every morning. Ascorbic acid is the medical term for vitamin C. And then intermittently, I will use an over-the-counter glycolic acid peel. For example, there are lots of good ones, or glycolic acid product, I should say. Um, I really like SkinCeuticals Glycolic 10 Renew Overnight. That one's been in my rotation. I really like the Paula's Choice Resist um, products with a glycolic acid. I think Zio makes a very nice one called the Enzymatic Peel. And there are dozens of others as well. So some some are little swipes um, that can be placed over the skin for a quick brightening and some can be left on overnight. So it just depends on the person, but we have a lot of good choices. Okay, Dr. Garrity. So Jenny and I tried this thing called Baby Foot, and we'd love to get your take on it. What is the deal with Baby Foot? What kinds of acids are in those little pouches? Baby foot and other foot peels have developed quite the following in recent months. It can help our skin feel really soft and nice if we're noticing a little buildup, a little dryness, a little cracking, or a little roughness. The peels work on that thick skin of the feet because they contain a whole cornucopia of acids. They've got glycolic acid, citric acid, lactic acid, and salicylic acid. And the result are feet that are softer and smoother, kind of like baby feet. And the fact that these acids are designed to be trapped under the skin for about an hour with those little plastic booties makes the acids even more potent and even more effective at exfoliating that ultra-thick skin of the feet. Are our feet the only areas of our body that can tolerate this sort of treatment? Like, is it too strong for other parts of our bodies? And, And why is that? The skin on our hands and feet is the thickest skin on our entire body by far. And the reason is that our feet are designed to handle a lot of abuse. We walk on them all day. We stand on them all day. We go barefoot. Our feet rub in our shoes. We might walk on hot pavement or gravel. Our feet are designed to handle all of it. So that's why we can handle stronger, more potent acids on our feet compared to any other parts of our bodies. The skin is just a completely different type, completely different strength, and we may just cause ourselves problems. One good rule of thumb is that we could do a home foot peel about as often as we might have a pedicure. Once a month is plenty for most people. If we do these kind of foot peels too often, number one, we might be wasting our money because we're not going to see the benefit. And number two, we could actually start disrupting the natural function of our feet. We need our feet to be thick. So I say once a month, max. So Michelle and I both had the same experience for the first few days after our um, our night of wearing booties. Just nothing was happening. Like both of us thought we're, we are immune to baby foot. Um, and then finally around day seven, it started working. Why does it take a few days to start? What's happening to your skin during that period? Peels and acids can make the skin feel softer almost right away, but the full effect of any acid or peel is almost never instantaneous. So it's kind of like the onion just peels a little bit more each day as we get to those deeper layers. And the more intensive or stronger a peel is, the deeper it reaches into the skin and the more layers need time to slough. So some chemical peels that we may do in the office can take a full 10 days for the complete sloughing effect. And even some home peels can take anywhere from two to five or even 10 days for a complete slough. Should you take any special measures after you do baby foot? Like now my my feet are very, very smooth. Should I be protecting them more than I normally would? If we've just done an intensive foot peel, I think it's really important to let those dogs heal. 
So no more acids on your feet for a minimum of two weeks and ideally more like four weeks after the peel. And you want to avoid doing things like buffing your foot down with a foot file or a pumice stone or one of those heel scrapers. It's just too much. And you may just take it easy if you're planning on a long hike or something while your feet are still healing or anything that would subject your healing feet to a lot of friction or rubbing. And it's also important to make sure you keep your feet clean and dry. The reason is if our skin barrier is a little more fragile, a little thinner, a little less resilient than usual, we might actually be a bit more prone to infection. So I think keep those feet clean and dry, wear flip-flops throughout the gym just to help reduce the risk of such an infection while your skin is healing. And are there other safety concerns when it comes to acids? For example, don't get them in your eyes. Um, Is there anything we need to know about the sun? Yeah, so in in general, it's a good idea to protect from the sun on a regular, consistent basis because if we're playing around with acids or lasers or whatever else, um, it'll be one steps forward, two steps back if we're not protecting from the sun. So, and I will say, um, with regard to your last question, Michelle, you know, when I was during my doing my dermatology residency at Stanford, the residents, we'd have this cosmetic evening where we would do treatments on each other and on various patients. And so we were all giving each other chemical peels one night and we were using glycolic acid or salicylic acid or sometimes TCA. And all of us tolerated it really well. People were turning pink, but not having any trouble. And everyone healed really well and had a beautiful result, except for one of my co-residents. She had been using her Retin-A medicine regularly right up until the night of the peel. And right in front of our eyes, right as we applied the the salicylic acid, actually, I think she had glycolic acid peel to her skin. We watched her skin bubble up and blister in front of our eyes. It was very dramatic. So that's why combining a Retin-A kind of medicine with glycolic acid peels, you need to take caution. So, and my friend did great. She had no scarring or no problems. As a dermatologist, she knew how to handle it. But what, what did you do? Just like throw a bucket of water on her? Like what? Stop, drop and roll. <laughs> you have to neutralize it, right? We did. We removed the peel right away and we smothered her with some aquaphor um, to just sort of soothe and help her skin to protect. And she was fine. She was pretty much healed up within a couple of weeks. It wasn't um, like she was in pain or anything like that. But you can see it happen in front of your eyes. It can be, it can be dramatic. So that is one reason I tell all my patients, if you're going in for a laser or a chemical peel, just put away any other acids that you might be using on a regular basis for a week beforehand. And in the office, are you really watching someone as they're sitting there with a peel? on their face? Like if it sounds like you can really see the skin changing before your eyes. You can. I mean, you see that the the skin starts to pink up if you're fair like me or can start to develop a richer color if you have more pigment to your skin. So you can see some color changing. There are some peels that can cause a frosting look on the skin where you actually see, it looks like a layer of frost on the skin. And so redness, we can see those endpoints in real time. It's honestly rare to have a kind of a problem, especially when it's done in a controlled office setting. And you've talked to the patient about, hey, you know, here's what to expect. Here's what it's going to feel like. You'll feel that tingling and burning. Um, and sometimes it's just too uncomfortable. Sometimes pain is the side effect that we're looking for. And when I'm doing a chemical peel or any treatment, I'm always asking my patients, hey, where are you on that one to 10 pain scale? 10 being terrible pain and one being nothing. Because I know if they're getting up toward a, a six, seven, or eight, and they're not looking for an intensive peel, it might be time for us to scale back. And what about cleansers with, like, sometimes I see a, a glycolic acid cleanser, but it's it's not on your face very long. Is that worth it? 
I think it's worth it for those people who are sensitive and have a hard time tolerating products. I mean, with a lot of the acne washes, the reason they're, or or the ones you're describing, Jenny, the reason that they're um, in a wash form is because we can't tolerate them sitting on our skin all day and causing that tingling, burning redness or irritation. If It's all about how long we leave them on. If we wash with a product with glycolic acid, salicylic acid, benzoyl peroxide, and leave it on for two or three minutes, we can get a bit of a benefit without the irritation. Um, I feel like we always talk about peels on our faces, but are there people who are coming into your office to get peels elsewhere too? Absolutely. I mean, there's no reason that if we're doing a peel on the face, we can't extend it down to the neck and chest. So that's the most common scenario where, hey, if we're getting rejuvenation on our face, why wouldn't we want that on our neck and chest? But I will say that our faces are very different skin from the skin that's just a couple inches down on our neck and chest. Our face is very rich in oil glands. It has a lot of natural protection. If you move down onto the neck, it isn't that way. The chest is not that way. They do have oil glands, but not nearly in the same density. So the the skin on the neck and chest is 10 to 100 times more sensitive. All right, Dr. Garrity, we have some listener questions for you. Hey, my name is Taylor and I have a question about acids. What would you say is the best acid to use if I'm a beginner and on a tight budget? I've really clogged pores and I've been wanting to give an acid a try for a while now, but there are just so many on the market and some of them are pretty expensive. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. So for new to skin acids, and we don't want to break the bank, we don't have to look much farther than our drugstore or a mass market store like Target. There are lots of really good skincare brands that develop careful, gentle acids that should have a benefit without overwhelming our skin or leaving it too dry or red or irritated or with some other side effects. But I think it is good to just be careful which brand we're choosing. Dermatologists gravitate toward those brands that do a lot of skin testing to make sure their products are going to work, but they're also safe and non-irritating. So a few good examples that might be under $20 in good places to start if we're looking to dabble in some acids. Um, one might be L'Oreal Paris. They have a product called Revitalift Derm Intensives. It's got 10% pure glycolic acid and it comes as a serum. So we could apply that at night. And it never hurts to do a little test spot first just to make sure our skin's not going to get too upset with us or react in some negative way. Another option that's inexpensive is Bliss Renew and Smooth Glycolic Polyhydroxy Acid Night Serum. Just a little serum we can put on at night for that little bit of a glow up while we sleep. Another great brand is called Vichy. They make a double glow peel mask, and that's an exfoliating face mask that you leave on for about five minutes, and it's got alpha hydroxy acids that should be gentle, but should get us some results as well. So look for those time-tested drugstore brands like Aveeno, like CeraVe, like Cetaphil, L'Oreal, Vichy, La Roche-Posay. There are many of them. So if you find one that feels good to you and doesn't break the bank, hey, all the better. In general, it may not be a good idea to cheap out on acids and buy something from a brand that you don't know and trust because acids are inherently irritating. So any cheapo product might contain acids that just strip your skin of its moisture barrier, leaving it red and raw and irritated without getting you the results that you're looking for. So I think it's good to maintain a healthy sense of caution until you dabble a little bit and you know what your skin will and will not tolerate. And when in doubt, always do a test spot first just to see how your skin is going to react. Hi, Alora. This is Elizabeth from New Jersey. I have a question about acids. Um, I love using them for exfoliation and they give my skin such an incredible glow, but I'm wondering if they are pregnancy safe or if there are particular acids that are safe for pregnant women. Thank you. 
This is a tough question, right? Because we always have to talk to our obstetrician if we're pregnant. What should I be using? What is safe? What is just not a good idea? I wish I could say, oh, studies say X, Y, and Z are perfectly safe, but PD and Q are are trouble. And the, the reality is for most products, we just don't know because we can't do the testing for ethical reasons. Who's going to sign themselves up to say, hey, I'll be the guinea pig and maybe it'll harm my unborn child or maybe not. So, um, so we don't do that kind of testing. But what we know from observing products that are used in pregnant women or not pregnant women, we do have a sense of what might be safe versus not safe. So it's always good to run it by your obstetrician, um, of course, for your individual skin and your health. Azelaic acid has an excellent safety profile during pregnancy, and that can help with blemishes, with pigmentation problems, with skin brightening, um, with exfoliating, but also always good to talk with your doctor about that. Hi, it's Sarah from North Carolina. I just started using AHA exfoliants, but I'm not sure if I'm doing it properly. So I wanted to know, should you apply acids to wet or dry skin? Thanks. I recommend applying acids and pretty much any active ingredients to clean, dry skin. I think if it's wet skin, it might sort of slip around. The water um, may sort of inhibit its absorption a little bit. I think you should cleanse with a gentle cleanser, pat dry, and immediately put on whatever acid you're going to be using. That way, we know it will penetrate the skin optimally, so you'll get the most benefit from it. And then if it's anything that's potentially irritating, smother yourself in a nice, rich, soothing moisturizer on top. Sometimes just protecting our skin barrier with moisturizer can help us to tolerate the acids that we might not otherwise. Well, this has been incredibly enlightening. um, And you've inspired me now to look at all my ingredients labels. Thank you for your time. Okay, Jenny, let's talk product recommendations. Which acids do you use? So I also, I use the P50 pretty regularly, two or three times a week. And I know I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but it has lactic acid and citric acid. It gives you a nice exfoliation. I think it has salicylic as well. I remember using it actually back in my 20s when I would get breakouts more often and it would really clear them up with the sal acid. Um, The Dennis Gross peel pads are classics that I often come back to. And Drunk Elephant has uh, a peel that I often use probably about once a week, a couple times a month. It's called Baby Facial because I like all my acid products to have baby in the name. Um, And that is a, a mixture of acids that is you get I get a little bit of a sting but it really is not irritating some of our colleagues who have pretty sensitive skin find that that's one acid product that they can use really easily okay so acids I don't really think of hyaluronic acid as a true acid um, as we've been talking about but I use a ton of it um, I love AHC's emulsion that's the one that I use actually multiple times a day most people do their skincare in the morning and in the evening with that I actually probably put it on about five times a day just because I have incredibly dry skin. So I love how just like hydrating it feels. Um, I use that and about once or twice a week, I'll do an exfoliation. So I love to use either the Dr. Dennis Gross peel pads, the alpha beta ones, or I'll do Peach and Lily's resurfacing mask, which you get like that nice kind of like burn and that sting from it. But after you rinse it off, it's just like super baby smooth. All right, that's it for this episode of The Science of Beauty. Tune in next week when we'll be pivoting to hair, shampoo to be precise. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. 
It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Allure on Instagram at Allure, and I'm at Hey Michelle Lee, and Jenny is at J by E, B A I L L Y. On our audio team, our lead producer is Carla Green, executive producer is Shara Morris, associate producer is Kate Mishkin, and sound engineer is Scott Somerville. On the Allure team, the editorial leads are Soyini Driscoll and Diana Mazone. Lead researcher is Julie Risabudo, and project manager is Monica Perry. The theme music is by Asha Ivanovich. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Hum. 